<laughs> uh, welcome to La Sierra University Church. Thank you for those who are here present. Thank you for those who are featuring online. Uh, big shout out to the Benzel family in uh, Abbotsford, British Columbia. That's my family, and they are in British Columbia. Just want to say hello because I know they're watching with their new baby. And so I'm just really glad that they're joining us from where they are back in Canada. Um, Pastor Bev, I was hearing you talk about how you love being in the sunny California. And you know what? I think this place is really becoming our home because I feel cold today. (laughs) Right? Like, it has not gone below zero and I feel cold. And I'm scared to go back to Canada, actually. But we'll survive. Um... It is Christmas season, and the time has been flying by us. It's really been going by quickly. And uh, I like Christmas time uh, because it really reminds me of, like, my mom. I really think of my mom and the time that she would kind of take off or just slow down to kind of just sit with us and tell us stories. Um, Speaking of my mom, my mom actually called me this week. Really funny conversation. I was kind kind of confused of what she was trying to say. She called me, and I don't know if anyone knows this, my older brother, his name is Kofi, he's a pastor in New Zealand. Um, and, uh, you know, him and I are very different, but we're very the same at the same time. Um, and he really got into the spiritual Bible Jesus thing a lot earlier than I was. Not only because he's older, but like he enjoyed these things earlier than, I, earlier than me. And uh, my mom called and she's like, hey, Ben, like I've been watching your stuff. I read your post about Rahab. Um, like, wow. I'm like, oh, thanks, mom. Like, I'm really happy that you're saying these things. She's like, you and your brother have different styles. I'm like, yeah, I hope so. And she's like, yeah, like, you teach, you try and preach to tell people to be nice. I'm like, I, yeah. She's like, yeah, but Kofi preaches the real stuff. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I kind of sat there and I was like, thanks, I guess. Like, I don't know if you're kind of insulting me or telling me I'm going to, but I'm okay with that. And so I hope that today I can preach in a way that'll tell us to be a little bit more nice to people. Um, and I think of my mom, though, around this time, because I think of stories and, and the stories that she would tell when we'd kind of slow down and spend time together. And there's a lot of power in stories. There's a lot of power in the things that we share. You know, stories have the power to create, the power to inspire, the power to take you from one place to another. But along with that power in stories, comes this ability to destroy as well, right? Stories can also cause fear. Stories can cause a lot of anxiety. And in our traditions and our, and our culture can be passed down and seen through the stories that we tell. And it makes me wonder, what are the stories that we decide to tell? What are the stories that we have been told ourselves? I remember that whenever me and my older brother, whenever we'd share a bed before we had a bunk bed, uh, we would share a bed together when we were young. And uh, my mom dropped this Ganyan mythology on us about this being that would come the night. And if I was, my head was above him in the bed for some reason, it would like take off my head. Really crazy story. And so you best believe like the whole, my whole life, for a long time in my childhood, I was like trying to avoid making sure my head was higher than my brother. And even when we had a bunk bed, I was always like trying to check where he was, like where is he sleeping? Because I don't want this beast to come in my room. And so the stories we tell really affect the people we tell them to. And it makes me think of the stories that we decide to tell of people in the Bible. The stories that we decide to tell about God. What are the stories that we're telling about God? 
Are we telling stories about a God who is limited or who does only certain things at certain times? Or do we tell stories about a loving and limitless God? Let's just pray real quick. Uh, Dear Lord, uh, speak through me. Pray that we can hear you and see you moving, especially in this Advent season. Amen. We've been going through the Advent tree. We looked at Asa. We looked at David and Bathsheba. And today we're at the story of Rahab. A really interesting story, and I love that she's part of the Advent tree, and I've learned how, it was, how important it is that she is. But if I can be honest, for a long time, up until recently, I have to admit, I've always misunderstood Rahab's story. I've definitely understood, misunderstood who she is and what her purpose and what was going on in her life because of the label that we give Rahab, because of the title that we give Rahab. And that title is Rahab the Prostitute. And in this title, as a child growing up, I would hear this. And so I came to a lot of strange conclusions about Rahab. And it made me realize that the nicknames, the titles, and the labels that we give people have power as well. The nicknames, the labels, the titles, these things are so interesting because though they can be true, they can be incredibly misleading and limiting. And if we don't see the human behind the nickname, we will always fall short on who they are and what their story is. And I think we have a lot of nicknames in our church, in our church tradition, in our, the stories that we've heard about biblical characters. We have a lot of interesting nicknames. For example, Joseph the Dreamer. Right? We talk about Joseph, and yes, he had a lot of interesting dreams and powerful dreams, but that was not it about him. And if we just call him Joseph the dreamer, we almost forget that God made those dreams realities. We forget that he became a prime minister of a country that he wasn't even from, and he was doing good things because of God. The title or the name Doubting Thomas, a classic story, and we kind of use this title Doubting Tom, don't be a Doubting Tom, all these things, almost to ridicule people or to kind of make people realize that they're not doing something good enough. But of course, Thomas was doubting. One of his friends just were murdered. Can you imagine if someone came to you and said like, hey, this person that you knew died is actually alive? Would you believe that? And so we tell this story of Doubting Tom and we leave his name like that, but that's not his whole story. The Virgin Mary, right? Like, why do we still use that name? Right, like we know that maybe this was true in the moment with Jesus, which is such an amazing story, but that was not all she was. She had more children, she had a family, her life, and no one should be described by their sexuality. This doesn't make sense. But this is the names that we have. You know, I think of, uh, I think of Calmini. I know for a fact that she doesn't like just being called Pastor Ben's wife, right? And we, when we lived in, back home, I think people would just naturally do that because I was living there first. But it's interesting, right? Because she's not just that. She is so much more than that, right? And in fact, I remember just kind of out of annoyance because I realized people were doing that on Zoom. I made my name Calmly's husband. So I wanted people to know, right? Like if you're going to try and limit her, that, that's, that, that's all I am to you. Right, for example, I'll even talk about me personally, right? Something I really dislike, if anyone knows, right, whether you believe it or not, I was a gymnast for four years in college, right? I did gymnastics, and I was a base, and people just naturally be like, hey, Big Ben, right? Okay, cool, like, all right, that's true, but that's not all I am. Yes, it's obvious. 
but that's not all. No one is just one thing. And so this comes back to Rahab the prostitute, this title. And when we think of this thing, we know in this church context that we live in, calling somebody a prostitute, Rahab the prostitute, we use this name, and what are we imagining when we say this? In our church context, whenever I heard this story, you could just replace Rahab the prostitute with Rahab the big sinner, right? Because of the way we understand things, the way we believe things. And when you look at it, the story just like that, the lessons we get from this story is God will use you no matter how sinful you are. We might get a lesson like God uses sinners to save his people. And I don't necessarily disagree with those concepts, but if we think that's the story of Rahab, we have been misled. If we think that's all Rahab is and that's what her story is, we have been misled. And because of this label, I misunderstood Rahab's life. And at surface value, when you just hear Rahab the prostitute, you think that she's this person who's running like this brothel, making money off these people. She's living her life and she's doing her thing. But why, I have to ask, why is it that I not lean to the strong possibility and the strong reality that she was a victim? Why do I not lean into the concept that she was being manipulated and abused and taken advantage of regularly? And this was her story. Why is it easier for me to accept that she was voluntarily living in this situation rather than being a person who was living in bondage? And knowing the cultural context, she had little to no autonomy over what was going on in her life. And she had been strategically placed, scholars say, in the edge of the city so that when people would come through from enemy cities or enemy nations, just like the two spies, they would go to her home and spend time there and maybe while they were there, they would leak out stories and plans of their own nation, right? Because like, why did the king show up at her house first thing? Right, we, don't, we ignore these little facts because we just hear Rahab the prostitute, right? But then there's so much more to her story. And so I asked myself, what are the lessons that we get from Rahab when she isn't just some uh, profiteering prostitute that I once believed that she was? And I think it's important that we rename and we reevaluate the stories that we hear, that we come back to them and we ask, like, how can I see Jesus through this time? What was Jesus doing with this person? What was God working in their lives? Because there's so much more than just that one label. And so today I want us to go through just three Names I think we should think of when we hear Rahab because she is so much more than just the name that we've always heard. First one, Rahab the social outcast. Rahab the social outcast. Rahab was viewed in a very specific way and we have to understand this. Rahab was being used against her will, her own autonomy and manipulated by others. And so she was seen as somebody who no one would wanna interact with in public. She was a woman. And at this time, she was constantly being seen as lesser than, right? And she was from Jericho. So especially to the two spies, she was an enemy. She was somebody that was not from who, where they move around. And that's who she was. And despite all these things that she had going against her, despite her being a social outcast, she still knew God. And I like in the text, when we go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, it says, she says, and I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom, devout, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, 
Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because you, because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She knew who God was. And we have to realize this, the simple fact that God is revealed to and through those who we've made outsiders or outcasts. God is moving in these places outside of our, outside of our context. And we have to understand that like in Jesus' lineage, in this long line of people, they're not all kings. They're not all royalty. In fact, sometimes these people in God's lineage are people who were seen as nobodies. But being categorized as a nobody does not keep you from God's reach. And this outsider named Rahab was, was used to bring the Messiah into our physical reality. And what's interesting is like she was transformed before meeting any other believers, quote unquote. Before meeting anybody else who knew the same God, she was already transformed and committed to him. And that's the beautiful thing, that God doesn't need us to transform other people. God doesn't need us to try to try and make sure that people are acting a certain way or doing something. All we need to do is ask, am I willing to be available to be a part of the work that God's already doing? I need to stop thinking that God is outside of my context. That's why I love this verse, uh, Psalms 139, verse 7 to 8. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There is nowhere that God isn't. And if God is present, God is working. Rahab's story tells us that God not only has a place for the socially marginalized and abused, but God also lifts them up to do great things, which leads to my second name for Rahab that we need to be thinking when we refer to Rahab, Rahab the rescuer. Rahab goes against what she was doing, goes against all she knew, goes against the oppressive system that existed around her to save these two people who came to destroy her home to save these people that came into her, into her home to try and take advantage of her or to do things that who knows what was going to happen. Yet because she knew God, she saved them. She rescues them. And it's interesting because without Rahab working through, without God working through Rahab, there's no story of Jericho's walls going tumbling down. Without God working through Rahab, there's no story of Israel after the Jordan River. And so God uses Rahab to rescue these people. And it's interesting because the spies come into Rahab's home, maybe seeking their own pleasure to serve themselves, yet they found rescue and salvation in Rahab's home. And this is something interesting that we need to understand too. Our help exists in places that we think we're better than. That's where our help can be found. Like it makes me really think about sometimes like the mentality that exists sometimes when we wanna go on mission trips we want to go places that we feel like we're the answer for, or we're the savior for, and that's where we have to be doing something in this area. But like, I remember I was really humbled once when we went on a mission trip to Belize, thinking, you know, being around these, my students, and we had this mentality because we're looking for this feeling, this feeling that we're doing something better, that these people need us. But when we got there, we were really humbled by the lessons that we learned from people, and that God was doing something for us through them. Our help exists in places that we're better than. And so when I have to ask ourselves, we have to ask myself, who are the people today that we have demonized? Who are the people that we think we're better than? Who are the people that we continue to create distance from on a regular basis? Our help might be there. And our help might be there because Jesus is already there. And I think that our help might look different, but it can just come basic from the 
pure fact that we are learning to love people that are hard to love. We're learning to love better, and that is helpful in itself. I love this uh, quote I found this last week on Instagram from this pastor named Ben Kramer. And he says, we Christians keep being tempted to use our Bible, our church, and our theology to confront strangers and ensure they're loving Jesus more. Jesus keeps asking us Christians to use our Bible, our church, and our theology to confront ourselves and ensure we're loving strangers. Our help is found in these places and I think we're better, that, that we think we're better than because they humble us and they teach us to love better. The third and final name I want us to look at when we think of Rahab, the, the title that I want us to think of is Rahab, the foreshadow of the coming Savior. As we're in the Advent season and we're relating this to Jesus, we cannot look at Rahab's story anymore and not see Jesus in the story. And I saw this, I read this quote that's so powerful that just summarizes, I don't even need to say anything else. Kate Wallace uh, Nunelli says this amazing thing. Says, it's an interesting idea and the more I learn about modern day human trafficking, the more I believe that this would have been the situation for Rahab. She most likely did not initiate or willfully consent to the acts of prostitution performed, yet she would have had to carry the weight of other people's sins through social stigma as if it were her own. Who else in scripture knows that kind of pain and burden than, other than Jesus? Jesus carried the weight of our sins on the cross as if they were our own, as, as if they were his own. Furthermore, Rahab plays a temporary savior to Israel by protecting the spies, declaring their victory, enabling God's plan to move forward. Rahab was an outcast. Rahab was a rescuer. And especially in the Advent season, may we see her as a type of Christ, as the foreshadow of our coming savior. Rahab was labeled the prostitute. She was labeled the prostitute by people who wrote the word that we, that we commit to, that we see Jesus in, but they wrote it in the time that that's okay just to label, that's it. Right? Rahab was labeled as a prostitute when God was revealed to her. Rahab was labeled as a prostitute when God used her to save the spies. Rahab was labeled as a prostitute when the city was destroyed around her and her home was the only thing remaining. And I, in Joshua 6 verse 22, Joshua says, but to, the t- but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as, as you swore to her. So even Rahab is labeled now as a prostitute, even when she's welcome in the community. And as she carried this misleading label, God was using her the entire time because he was already giving her a different, more wholesome and more true label himself. Despite how people labeled her, God saw that she was so much more and God gave her deeper titles that mean so much more. And I want us to understand this. What you are labeled as isn't how God labels you. What people might define you as is never how God defines you. God sees you as so much more, not just your last action, not just your last situation that you were forced in or in the situation that you end up in. God sees you as so much more. Her label wasn't too much for God. The abuse that she had endured wasn't too much for God. Her occupation wasn't too much for God. The, the way people saw her wasn't too much for God. And in fact, nothing was too much for God or to be used by God. And God is already moving towards those we've made unequal. We just need to ask ourselves, are we willing to be part of that story of God moving? Jesus came to this earth to love who we are now and, I, and, and to love who we are going to be even tomorrow. That's why Jesus came. And he didn't come to make us a certain way, 
But Jesus came came to show us how to do better to those around us daily, to look out for those that we bump into. And I love that Rahab is the story of Jesus' love, the story of Jesus' rescuing, Jesus being a savior for us. And so when I read the story of Rahab, I no longer just see this label that the text gives us, but I see her so much more. And so as we go throughout this Advent season, as we spend time in our homes with our loved ones, may we reevaluate the names that we have given or been given to ourselves. May we reevaluate the names that we see other people given, other people receiving. May we make our homes a place that even people considered outsiders will feel safe and continue to see the God that they were already revealed to. Amen.